I think what's driving growth in our space fundamentally is that B2B tends to be somewhere between five and 15 years behind what happens in the B2C space. And we've obviously seen a, a tremendous change in the way purchasing happens in our consumer lives and, and the ease with which you can, you can buy things and have things delivered to your door today. And so a lot of our customers or, or prospective customers are trying to figure out how they navigate this new experience. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. While it may lack the sexiness found in the consumer space, B2B payments are experiencing their own form of transformation. With complicated buying cycles and the complexity of getting different silos, organizations, and companies to communicate with one another, B2B payments still run years behind where we are in the consumer space. MSTS is trying to change that. The B2B payments firm provides a credit as a service program to large firms like Best Buy. But to get there, the company first needs to solve some of the pain points in the sales cycle. President Brandon Spear joins us on the podcast to define credit as a service and discuss what's driving growth in the space. We chat about the challenges of running a credit as a service program and some examples of how clients are working with his company. Brandon Spear is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Well, very nice to meet you and, uh, and thank you for having me on this um, podcast. My name's Brandon Spear. I'm the president of MSTS. A little bit about me quickly. Uh, my background's mainly in software and technology businesses. And prior to joining MSTS four and a half years ago, I was uh, with Ariba and then uh, SAP, uh, mainly in the procurement uh, space. Those businesses are in, in procurement. And then the business I'm in now, MSTS, has uh, a lot of similarities to those types of businesses in as much as a lot of what we do is around building and establishing communities. And I can tell you some more about, about that as we get into the podcast. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Um, let me ask you a, a personal question. What was it about MSTS um, that encouraged you to, to join the, the team? Yeah, you know, it's, I've, I've been in a variety of startup businesses really throughout my career. And one of the challenges in the startup business is you invariably find yourself having um, resource constraints, whether it's capital, whether it's personnel. And so what appealed to me about MSTS is that it was a, a pretty interesting technology-centric business in the payment space, but it was owned by a much larger parent company. Our, our parent company is a uh, Fortune 100 business out of Miami. And so what appealed to me about it was that I felt that I could get kind of the best of both worlds. A lot of that sort of startup feel that you get um, with, with a smaller business and being able to be impactful, but also have what I like to refer to as the rich uncle in Miami um, that you can use to get access to the resources you need as you want to help the business grow. Uh, so I, I'd be interested to hear um, the Genesis story, how that rich uncle in Miami decided to create MSTS and I guess how it fits into their, their strategy as well. Can we mention the company by name? Yeah, yeah, of course. The, our parent company is a company called World Fuel Services. Mm -hmm. and, and so World Fuel Services is a $40 billion business, mainly in fuel distribution and logistics. And the overlap with our business is, like I said, we're a software and technology payments-centric company. We run a variety of fuel cards, both uh, our own branded fuel cards as well as white-label fuel cards, and they fit well into that ecosystem within World Fuel, where it's one of the one of the, the services and capabilities that are sold to their various customers, and and we support them in the aviation space and in the land space, um, where they're selling fuel cards into the different you know customers of theirs that are purchasing fuel from them. 
Interesting. And so can we talk about, I guess, MSTS is offering in the credit space and underwriting space. I think that's more in line with, with our audience and love to hear sort of what the, the value proposition is there. Yeah, sure. So absolutely. So, uh, you know, we focus on, on the business to business transaction and one of our um, kind of key tenants is trying to remove and, and reduce the friction that exists in a business to business transaction today. And we focus on the seller and we focus on providing a set of tools, platforms and services to the seller that really help them eliminate a lot of the friction in that B2B process today. So I'll give you an example of what that friction can look like. Um, it can be anything from having the flexibility to deal with a variety of different payment terms, deal with a variety of different disbursement terms, also deal with different billing frequencies. But probably most importantly, one of the challenges sellers can have in this space is getting all of the invoice data correct. And that can be everything from the right price for the particular buyer that they're dealing with through to uh, purchase control information that the, that the buyer wants to see on the invoice. So these B2B relationships are more complicated because B2B buyers want to make sure that they follow their procurement practices and that if they require a purchase order or a number on an invoice, that it does actually show up on an invoice. And you can have all kinds of of variations on a theme there in terms of what sort of data that a buyer wants. And if you're as a seller, if you're able to effectively solve those problems and be able to deal with your buyer in the way that they want to, they want to be dealt with, then our experience is that we've seen very, very significant growth. The larger share of wallet is obtained from that particular buyer. Mm. Part of the services that we wrap around all of this, so our technology platform does all of those pieces. Then we also wrap around it, um, you know, essentially the, the seller outsources all of the, the accounts receivable activities. So we do all the invoicing, all the billing, all the collections. We provide the uh, working capital for them as well. So it becomes a, a turnkey offering that really, in our, in, from our point of view, helps the seller sell more to their buyers. Interesting. And can you... Um... I don't know if you can mention any of your clients by name, but can you give us sort of a case study, like overview of, of how sure. this would look, what this would look like in practice? Yeah, sure. So one of our customers is Best Buy for Business, and obviously, you know, Best Buy, a very well-known retail uh, brand, and several years ago decided to build a business-to-business -business channel, and they were very smart in focusing on vertical markets, and one of the verticals that they focused on was school districts. And you can imagine with a school district, school districts have um, lots of considerations around how they spend their money. And they obviously spend a lot of money on technology assets and services around those assets today. And so we helped construct a solution for Best Buy that would enable them, A, to put this relationship pricing in place. And not only that, but for that, uh, for that school district to be able to experience that relationship pricing whether they went into a physical store, whether they phoned a salesperson, or whether they went onto the e-commerce website. And so the example of that is, let's say, for example, some, somebody's buying a Chromebook, a replacement Chromebook, or one breaks during the school day, and the technology officer at the school needs to run out and buy a replacement. They can now go to any Best Buy physical location. Uh, they walk in with a piece of plastic that looks like a credit card that identifies them, identifies the school district, they can walk in and swipe that card at a point of sale. And if they're buying the replacement Chromebook, let's say the Chromebook's retail price is $100 and their special deal is 5% uh, off of the uh, retail price, 
then we'll actually reprice the transaction in real time at the point of sale so that uh, that school, that particular school district gets their specific price. And so that's an example of, of just, you know, you're trying to leverage the physical infrastructure and kind of physical distribution capability that someone like Best Buy has, but you have to solve a problem like, well, how do you get unique pricing per customer in a physical Best Buy store? The other thing that we do then is we can also add the purchase order number. So as part of that transaction, the, uh, the, the technology officer will cite the purchase order number for Chromebooks. And we can even keep track of a budget that of how much they've spent against their particular budget of Chromebooks for the year. So is how, how much, I guess one thing I underappreciated, Brandon, before we had this conversation was um, how integral it was in your offering to, to have all the, the, the payment information uh, and the, you said like the accounts receivable piece um, kind of nailed for them. Can, can, can you just talk a little bit more about what's driving the need to have that as part of an overall sort of credit or um, B2B transaction platform? Yeah, so I, it's a great question. And I think it, some of it relates back to the type of sellers we specifically focus on. So if you, if you think about a buyer and who they buy from, you'll see a, a distribution of, of, uh, of sellers. And if you th think about like an X-axis that has the number of suppliers that they have and the Y-axis, how many, how, what the dollars are that they spend with them, you'll see kind of a, a spike in, in the beginning and then there's sort of a long tail that sort of drifts off towards the end. And that's a typical distribution of how um, buyers interact with their suppliers. We really focus on suppliers that are in that first kind of, you know, 10% of suppliers that the buyer, maybe 20% that the buyers deal with that represent 80% of their spend. Mm -hmm. So part of our proposition is that if you have to have a, an ongoing relationship between the buyer and the seller, and there has to be enough meaningful volume that the buyer is actually interested in A, controlling the spend around it, and B, wants to have some sort of negotiation with the, with the seller about what their relationship pricing is. If you're in that long tail, then that's not really who we focus on. There's other solutions that are out in the marketplace for that. So our value proposition is really to those 20% of the suppliers that typically represent 80% of the spend. And when you're in that bucket of, uh, of suppliers, you have to solve some of these procurement problems or these procurement challenges that your buyers present to you. Because if you don't, they'll probably go and find someone else who can do a better job and who will be easier to do business with them there. So we really help the sellers in that category compete more effectively um, by A, giving them access to our technology platform, and then B, wrapping it with all the other services that we provide. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess in the, in the um, Best Buy uh, for Business example, is there a credit component there? Are they using that component? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a big part of this is, is obviously working capital. Um, and we uh, fund these transactions. We, uh, we provide lines of credit to the customer base. Uh, we've also spent a lot of time and energy in, in really trying to do that in a very fast and slick way so that we can gather you know, minimal number of data points from a, from a prospective buyer. And if we do this online, so if this happens from an e-commerce website, for example, uh, we, can actually, we can actually provide a line of credit in typically less than 30 seconds. So we, we gather around eight 
data elements from, from the buyer and we can then give them a credit line right then and there, right when they're on the website. And so this kind of plays back to the theme that I mentioned in the beginning, that a big part of what we're trying to do is we're really trying to take these friction points out of that B2B relationship. And if, and if you've ever applied for a line of credit somewhere in a store, usually that's a manual process. You have to fill in you know, a physical piece of paper. It may take days, if not weeks, before you know if you're going to get a line of credit. We're really trying to short circuit that entire process and have it done, you know, in, in less, if we can, have it done in 30 seconds or less. And we do that about 75% of the time. And then the rest of the time, um, have it done within four hours. Interesting. And I, I believe you call this, you know, your credit as a service offering. Um, I'm curious to yeah. know, um, I, I guess it's a complicated answer. It's a simple question, but the, it's what's driving growth in the space of credit as a service. It sounds like you're solving a lot of the, the, the payment issues, credit seems almost ancillary to some of it. Um, but sort of, I, I guess yeah. from your perspective, what's what's driving growth in, in, in your space? Really good question. I, I think what's driving growth in our space fundamentally is that B2B tends to be somewhere between five and 15 years behind what happens in the B2C space. And we've obviously seen a, a tremendous change in the way purchasing happens in our consumer lives and, and the ease with which you can you can buy things and have things delivered to your door today. And so a lot of our customers or, or prospective customers are trying to figure out how they navigate this new experience, how they, you know, if they have an existing distribution channel, how, how can they make it easier? They might want to consider changing the way the distribution channel works. And when all of those types of thought processes, conversations go on inside of a, inside of a seller, you invariably run into competencies or capabilities that you, you didn't necessarily need before, but now all of a sudden you do require. If I go back to you know the Best Buy example, you know Best Buy's um, di didn't really have the the uh, um, the capability of doing this relationship pricing because why would you? You're a retailer and you run specials on things, but you the idea of having a specific price for every buyer who, who walks in the door that's not something that a typical retailer would do or would have. So what's driving this, I believe, is you know, certainly some macro effects of, of how our consumer lives have changed. And I think it's also the increasing dominance of players like, like Amazon. You know, they continue to gain more and more market share in many of these different categories. And I think businesses, sellers in particular, are trying to figure out how they can continue to remain relevant, continue to compete. And this is one of the ways that they can, that if they become the easiest seller to do business with, with their B2B buyers, then they're A, going to have a stickier relationship with them and then B, ultimately, hopefully, a larger share of their spend. So, so going back to this Best Buy example, it doesn't have to be Best Buy themselves, but um, I guess looking at the customers, what are their challenges in running uh, a credit as a service program? You mentioned a couple in, in your previous answer, they just don't have the expertise in providing you know, specialized pricing to every customer that walks in. I guess, and an ancillary question to that is, who's the buyer when you sell into a Best Buy? Who, who's actually making the decision to work with an MSTS? Yeah, good, good question. So let me answer your second question first. More often than not, we sell to the the, the P&L owner of the B2B channel. So somebody who um, you know is responsible for driving that business forward and, and increasing the, the the growth of that business or the 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 market share that they might have. 
So it's an interesting conversation because although credit is a part of our offering, and you kind of hit on this, you know, early on in in the in the chat, although credit and the underwriting and the working capital is a big part of our offering, more often than not, the conversations with that person are more about how can you eliminate some of the pain points that I experience today? And that might be in credit and underwriting. It might be in collections. They might not have credit lines that are big enough. They might have a clunky you know, credit and underwriting process. They may have difficulty doing the relationship pricing, like I mentioned. So you find where those pain points are. And when, when you're able to demonstrate that you can solve or significantly improve the way those process works, then um, you know. Then you you have a, a real advocate inside the business, and so that's usually typically who we sell to. In terms of where the capability challenges are, um, more often than not, it's it's in things like the relationship pricing. It's in things like dealing with purchase controls, and that can be you know if you're dealing with a buyer that runs projects, they might want to have project codes that come back mm -hmm. on an invoice. Or if they're a services company, they might want to have cost centers that come back on the on the on the invoices. Oh, I, I so meant more flexibility. I'm sorry, I meant more yeah, at the seller level, like to implement yeah. uh, the MSDS solution. Oh, I see. I got yeah. you. I got you. So we have um, we have really two different different ways of of executing the implementation, and it depends on whether the seller wants an omni-channel solution, or if they want just an e-commerce solution. Mm -hmm. If they want just an e-commerce solution, we have a a, a number of built-in plugins for the large e-commerce platforms, the likes of Magento, where you can literally just drop our our invoicing capability into into those e-commerce platforms. So think of when you're going through the, the checkout screen on your e-commerce website, a new payment type shows up called Invoice Me instead of a credit card or you know an ACH or some PayPal. Hmm. There's a new payment type over there that says Invoice Me, and that then is made available to all your B2B buyers, and sitting behind that is all the invoicing and the purchase controls and everything else that we do. So that's, that's a really quick and easy way to deploy it, and it's typically a week or two to be able to drop that into the e-commerce site. If it's an omni-channel deployment and there's a, an integration with a CRM platform or there's an integration with a, per, with a point of sale, those tend to take longer. Um, we have integrations already with a lot of the big CRM platforms, as you would imagine, the likes of Salesforce, et cetera. So we can go fast on those sorts of CRM implementations. And that's usually there for a call center where somebody's phoning in and placing an order via the call center. And then for the points of sale, there's so many variations on a theme that tends to be on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, and so, you know, depending on from, you know, the simplest implementation is e-commerce all the way through to the most complex where you've got a physical point of sale integration. It would feel like, uh, and maybe I'm extrapolating and shouldn't be, but like if you do, if you do the omni-channel route, um, a successful implementation may bump into sort of structural constraints at the at the company level, silos, um, or sort of cross-divisional data sharing, that kind of stuff. Is am I thinking correctly or no? Uh, no, it it can. I mean, you know, larger organizations, um, you know, can have uh, can have some challenges like that when you when you work with them. Which, which is part of the reason why that if our customer is the owner of that B2B channel, they then become that internal advocate to really try to you know, push all that stuff through or get it on different people's roadmaps to be able to implement. Because something like a point of sale integration, 
those tend to take time simply because there's usually a backlog of work that has to happen within within the IT organization. So if you've got a business owner who's championing it, they've got a business case, they might have started with the e-commerce implementation first and the next move is to move to to the point of sale, you know, it's an easier conversation to have. But you're right, it can definitely happen. And in the remaining time we have, we have time, you know, maybe for one last question, but um, can we look a little bit forward, um, like what's coming down the pike, both from, a, you know, what you guys are working on at the product level toward maybe trends, something that looks out into the future. I'm just kind of curious to see like what, what's, yeah. what you see next on your radar screen. Sure. So, so two things, I think one is that we, we're trying to take all that we've learned over the last years and take this downstream, take it to smaller sellers. We think that smaller sellers you know, have, if, if you can imagine that large sellers with scale have challenges in this area, can you imagine how difficult it is for smaller sellers? So we've created a version of our offering that's designed specifically for SMB customers so that we can go very fast. It's very quick and easy to implement. It's e-commerce only, but we think that's going to be a good starting point for those types of sellers. So I think that's one trend. I think the second trend is that we are putting some pretty interesting business intelligence data or analytics rather on top of all of the data that we have. And we're trying to use that as an additional value added service to our sellers to help them identify within their customer base if there's customers that look the same and one's buying more than another or one is buying more categories or SKUs than the other, we're trying to use that as a mechanism to identify sales opportunities for, for the seller and feed that back to either if they have an existing sales force or, the, or to that business owner that says, you know, these customers look like there might be more that you could sell them. Similarly, if you've seen a history of customers purchasing in a certain way and that volume starts to change and maybe decline, uh, give them a, a heads up that there might be a customer that's at risk. So we're trying to use a lot, you know, we've obviously got a, a river of data that's flowing through our platform and, you know, sticking analytics on top of that is we think will be really powerful and interesting for our customers. Wow. So not only servicing existing client base, but, but analytics to help them sell more to existing customers or maybe future customers. Exactly. I mean, our, our whole theme is to help our customers sell more, whether it's through you know credit lines that they couldn't do themselves or just more efficient processes or better aligned processes with the buyer, or in this case, data that helps them target more sales opportunities. Well, that's a great value proposition. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. It was great talking with you. Thank you.